is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting or standing through the initial songs on Sunday mornings, for me it's just kind of like waves of refreshing. (laughs) Um, After, you know, going through a week and with all of its challenges, um, man, just being reminded about the truth set to beautiful music is what I need. Um, We're going to be talking about encouragement this morning and how we really encourage one another, encourage those who are hurting. And these songs capture it so well. Um, So what I'd like us to do, just to start with, just again, as we begin looking at the word together and just to turn our eyes to Jesus, um, I'd like us to sing together just the little chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We'll say, turn my eyes upon Jesus. If you know it, um, sing. If you don't, don't sing. (laughs) Turn my eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you. Um, An estimated 6.7% of American adults each year will experience a major depressive episode. We'll go through major depression. And it's estimated that, it, that more than 15% of Americans will experience major depression during their lifetimes. Um, probably some of us here this morning. Certainly all of us here this morning go through um, incredible times of discouragement, depression, opposition, um, relational challenges, intense grief. Um, As we're contemplating um, or in the process of moving towards opening a coffee oasis on Bainbridge Island, it was just a week ago Saturday uh, with uh, a friend of ours that lives on Bainbridge Island and knows we're moving that direction. texted me that his voice student came to his house crying, saying that her best friend had just committed suicide. Um, We live in a world where we need encouragement, right? (laughs) We all do. The question is, how do we encourage one another? And even in asking the question, I think some of you are probably thinking, everybody knows how to encourage one another. But as I was thinking about it, I think often encouragement can be pretty lame, can't it? Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, and I'm not just talking, you know, if somebody's in front of you crying and you're like, 
how do you do the hug thing, you know? <laughs> um, to encourage them. Um, I think we just don't know how to encourage one another. Sometimes it, it could be that we, we either think we need to talk, and so we, we talk and we talk, when all, what they really need is just somebody to listen, right? Or we're uncomfortable and we think maybe a joke will help. <laughs> that would be one of my downfalls over the year, years. I got it perfected now. No, uh, <laughs> uh, there's that joke. <laughs> okay. Um, when what was really needed was a tear, right? Or maybe it's just how often we, we can be just downright and superficial. In our attempts to encourage, we say things like, hang in there, or you're really a good person. Um, for me, it was captured um, a couple of days ago when I was listening to the radio in the car. And uh, so when I listen to the radio in the car, I have like five stations that you know you can hit with a button so that I don't have to listen to a DJ. I don't like listening to DJs talk. Um, probably any more than they want to listen to me talk. But And so I keep pushing, they start talking, I keep pushing the buttons till I can hear music. And But this guy, there was a song, and before the next song, he, he started talking, and it just, it just, like, he made one statement that just caught me, and this was it. He said, in between songs, he just said, I want you to know you're a winner. <laughs> Man, I just felt like such a winner at that point. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was feeling like a loser, and he was just like, reaffirming himself, but I mean, it was just out of the blue. Um, it almost sounded to me like one of the false prophets in the Old Testament who, who kept saying, peace, peace, when there wasn't any peace. And they'd said, peace, peace, as the Babylonian army was about ready to sack Jerusalem, when what the people needed to hear and the true prophets were saying, repent, return to the Lord, and and yet there's this peace, peace. And often I think our encouragement ends up to be that. It's just we don't know what to say and um, we don't know how to come alongside each other. So we say things like hang in there or everything's going to be all right. No clue if everything's going to be all right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody tell that to somebody and everything might not be all right but we don't know how to encourage. Um, when a friend has just received some really hard news and needs to be encouraged, you know, what do they need? Maybe, certainly they need a, a long hug and a listening ear, and then maybe as we spend time with them, uh, some thoughtful advice, some truth. So real encouragement. The big question is, how do we really encourage someone who's really hurting? How do we do that? And we're going to look at Zechariah. If you didn't know, it's in the Bible. Um, it's in the Old Testament. It's at one of those little books at the end that I'm not going to ask for hands, okay? 
Um, but probably a lot of you haven't even, maybe didn't even know it was there. Um, they're called the minor prophets uh, because they're small, not because their information is minor. And so we're going to look at Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai were two prophets that were incredibly encouraging. Um, and really, the big idea that we see is that real encouragement or true encouragement includes both grace and truth. Um, so what we're going to do to start, and I want you to think, I mean, just it could be a friend that you know needs encouragement. And we're going to start with a really discouraging situation in Ezra chapter 4. So it's going to give us the background. Um, yeah, I'm getting a little discouraged right now because it's not there. <laughs> okay. Um, Ezra chapter 4, starting at verse 1, if we can, please. We're going to see where the people of Israel had, some of them had returned to Jerusalem and they're wanting to rebuild the temple. If we could go back to verse 1, please. There we are. And this is the situation. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord. The temple had been, had been uh, torn down. Uh, the treasures had all been taken out. And so there's a group, Zerubbabel and Joshua, that are rebuilding the temple. So when the enemies heard, they come to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and they say, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God. Doesn't that seem kind of weird? I mean, your, your worst enemy comes up to you and says, I'd like to help you with your building project. And you're thinking, yeah, <laughs> I want you building my house. Um, and so Zerubbabel, verse 3, and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the families answer, you have no part with us. <laughs> we don't want you building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. So then we come to verse 4 and we see the consequences. Then the peoples around them, this is their enemies, set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them. See, these are the guys that just said, hey, we want to help you build it. Now they're doing everything they can to oppose it. They bribe them to work against them and frustrate their plans through the reign of Cyrus and Darius, kings of Persia. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And so they send a letter directly to Xerxes, the king of Persia, to stop the building project. And so verses 7 through 16, which you can read afterwards, not while I'm talking, um, tell the letter. Verse 17, we're going to pick up, gives the king's reply. To Rehum, the commanding officer, Shimshai, the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates, greetings. The letter you sent has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of Trans-Euphrates and taxes and tribute and duty were paid to them. Now, 
issue an order. This is from King Xerxes. Issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? And as soon as the copy from the, of, uh, of the letter of King Xerxes was read to these guys, immediately they go to the Jews in Jerusalem and by force they make them stop rebuilding. Verse 24, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and their rebuilding project, it's over. It's done. That's, these are some discouraged people. So what can be done because this is, God has told them to rebuild this temple and Cyrus actually decreed for them to do this. What's going to encourage these people to begin this rebuilding process? What can we do to encourage people that are facing massive encouragement and opposition? Ezra 5, 1 and 2 kind of give us a glimpse and then we're going to switch and we're going to look at Zechariah. So this is what happened. In the midst of their incredible discouragement, the building is stopped. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet. Haggai is the book just before Zechariah, and then we have Zechariah. Prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So they came in speaking truth, the word of the Lord to these people to encourage them to begin rebuilding. And then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild as the word of the Lord, the truth was communicated to them. They set to work again to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God, meaning Haggai and Zechariah, were with them, supporting them. How do we really encourage someone who's really hurting? As we're going to go to Zechariah, we're going to just look at a, a several, we're going to look at two things, really this, how they prophesied in the name of God, how they spoke truth to the people to encourage them to re rebuild, and then how they were with them, supporting them, how the, the grace of God was also there. So starting at Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Almighty says. This is what God wants them to hear, to encourage them in their rebuilding process. The first thing, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now and the prophets? Do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? The word of the Lord, the truth that he spoke, didn't it come to, come to pass? And then this is a great conclusion. He says, then they, meaning the people that 
were stopped in their rebuilding process, then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve just as he determined to do. And so the first thing that's so important and, and often doesn't happen when when we need to communicate encouragement to someone who's going through something that's incredibly hard, whatever it is, the truth that they need to hear is return. So often, what we're afraid to do is communicate the word of the Lord to people in terms of what they need to hear. And and what we think true encouragement means is ignoring or moving on or or overlooking. It's putting a bandage on something instead of that true encouragement really deals with where we're at, our sin and our brokenness and our separation from God. And the people needed to hear it. They needed to repent and they needed to return so that they this building project could continue. Return. True encouragement deals with our sin. It doesn't just put a bandage over it or, or ignore it. Moving on in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine, and behind him were red, brown, and white horses. And I asked, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. And then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. And then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah which you have been angry with these 70 years, 70 years of exile in Babylon. And so the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. And there my house will be rebuilt and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. And so in communicating truth to people who need encouragement, we need to encourage them to return to the Lord. <laughs> Repent, but, but then it needs to be so quickly followed with that there's hope in God's mercy. <laughs> that true encouragement always includes hope in God's mercy. Zechariah chapter 2. I'm just giving you a glimpse here, so you need to go read the whole, whole book for yourselves. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand, and I asked, where are you going? And he answered, to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. And while the angel was speaking to me, was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, 
Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. That's an incredible statement, huh? (laughs) Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Isn't that great? (laughs) Whoever touches you touches the apple of God's eye if you're one of his kids. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. And this is the incredible encouragement to these people. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and I will become in that day and will become my people. I will live among them and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord all mankind because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The encouragement of God's presence. I mean, he's encouraging them here that he's, his presence is going to return to Jerusalem and the, and the temple that they're rebuilding. But did you forget? And, and those that you're encouraged in seeking to encourage the, who know the Lord that, that we're temples of the holy, holy God? I mean, we can forget that, can't we, in the midst of, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances and discouragements that the, that the God of the universe dwells within us? We're his dwelling place? It's not in a temple of brick and, and wood, but in people who are his people that belong to him. Ah, we need to remember that, don't we? <laughs> that we're his. Um, Zechariah chapter 4. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and and one on the left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, you don't know. He says, no, my Lord. And so he said to me, this is a great memory verse. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, in the midst of this rebuilding process with incredible opposition, their enemies surrounding them, trying to prevent in every way they can this process from happening. And the people are thinking... We can't do this. Well, no, they're not being asked to do it because it's not by their might, not by their power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands also will complete it. And then you will know 
that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the impossible obstacles that we face that just overwhelmingly discourage us is if we, if we realize that our power isn't in our own strength, in our own cleverness, our own wisdom or ability or knowledge or intelligence, but it's by his spirit, then we're going to see God do above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And people are going to say, we know that the Lord has done this. Two more, Zechariah chapter 7. The word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And this is exactly what they're doing. They're, if you read the book, you'll see that they, they're asking Zechariah, you know, we're, we're fasting on these months. Should we keep fasting on these months? And, and, and what God is telling them through Zechariah is that the fast that you're doing, you're going through these rituals and you're doing these ceremonies, but what needs to happen is true justice and mercy and compassion and not oppressing the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. And kind of the word I put to this, I think the truth that God is committing, communicating to them is obedience. Not just hearing the word of the Lord, but, but doing it. Jesus uh, told a parable to that, um, the, wise, the wise man and the foolish man, and, the, and those who are wise, building on a solid foundation are those who hear the word of the Lord and do it. I think so often, our lives, we go from one crisis to the next, one one impossible discouraging situation to the next because I think so often we run on emotions instead of obedience to the truth. And so we, we get through and maybe it's through trite sayings or through shallow encouragement instead of pointing one another to the truth and to, the, to obedience to the truth and to, and to dependence on the power of God and we're trying to do it in our own strength getting through temporarily instead of knowing that true encouragement isn't just talk, but it's, it's obedience. And then the last thing, Zechariah chapter 9, we get a, just giving you a couple of glimpses here. Zechariah is full of wonderful messianic prophecies, prophecies looking forward to the coming of the one who's promised to be their ultimate deliverer, our, our deliverer, Jesus. Zechariah 9.9 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is their ultimate hope. And we see it in Matthew 21. The fulfillment of this in Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5, is Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. It says this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes, the one who was promised, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And just one more prophecy we see in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they're going to look on me. They're going to look back the one that they pierced 
and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son because they didn't look forward and accept him when he came. You know, true encouragement, Lee, as we see in these prophecies in Zechariah, and I encourage you to read and look for read Zechariah and look for the prophecies about Jesus. It tells us that ultimately true encouragement is found in Jesus, is pointing people to Jesus. Um, not through our own cleverness or our own, you know, wisdom or ideas or opinions, but found in the person of Jesus. But if we can go back to Micah chapter 5, it's not just communicating truth like they did, prophesying to the Jews in the name of God, just revealing afresh to these Jews who were discouraged in the rebuilding of the temple, reminding them of their God who was over them. But also there's this incredible grace. I love the last phrase. As they set about to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, it says the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. I mean, it's almost, some, it's almost a phrase we could overlook, but, it, but it's so incredible. Because these guys, Haggai and Zechariah, I mean, called by God to speak the word of God to these people. They could have just been talking to the people and speaking to the people, but they were with them, supporting them. That is grace. That's exactly what these people, they didn't need just somebody talking to them. They needed truth, but they also needed grace. They needed these prophets not just telling them, uh, what are you guys getting discouraged for? I just told you the truth. You know? Why don't you guys like pick it up a little bit? You know, you got the truth, now rebuild. But there's this incredible grace that they were with them supporting them. You know, the incredible definition of the word support means to support. Um, it, <laughs> thanks. It means they were, they were there with them, encouraging them, comforting, strengthening, sustaining them in their discouragement and the opposition that was threatened around them, alongside them, with them. <clears throat> encouraging them. That's grace. Real, real encouragement isn't just speaking truth to people, but it's, it's being with people, unconditionally loving them, sincerely loving them from the heart, caring, accepting, not judging, not pointing the finger, but alongside them, loving people as we're communicating the truth to them and it's what encouraged them in the in the face of intense opposition i just want to point us to john one more verse john chapter 1 verse 14 um you know our world was in a mess <laughs> and then the word who was with god and was god became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Jesus. The eternal God just came and lived among us, made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, Jesus is such 
an incredible example of what we see in Zechariah. Full of truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to be pointing people to Jesus, but we need to be like Jesus, just coming alongside them, living with them, walking with them, loving them, not pointing fingers at them, but alongside them, unconditionally pointing people to Jesus. You know, as the, uh, as the coffee oasis, I mean, God has put us in the midst of a world that is often oppositional to who we are as a faith-based ministry um, because people in the name of faith and church and Christian have hurt a lot of people and hated on a lot of people and resulted in, we, we face incredible obstacles as a faith-based organization. And so as a result, we, we put together a Jesus statement that I just want to read for you. Um, and we put it on our website so that people can see this is what it means for us to be a faith-based organization. Um, and it really is saying to be a, a people who want to communicate truth with incredible grace. Um, it says, we believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. We believe that hope and life and peace and love and forgiveness are found in Jesus. That's truth. I mean, it would be wrong for me to say, you know, it's, that's what I believe. That's what we believe. It says, therefore, because we believe those things, we follow Jesus. And following him means we attempt to live the way Jesus lived. We can say to love the way Jesus loved. We believe what Jesus believed. Jesus loved those on the fringes who were often rejected and ostracized, you could say, by religious people. Like Jesus, we love and serve every individual regardless of their race or religion or gender or identity or values or belief or anything else. It isn't our job to force Jesus on anyone and we don't require anyone to believe what we believe. This is the way of Jesus and we're his followers. Grace and truth. Grace demonstrating unconditional love regardless of the individual and what they've done or how, they've, how they identify, simply loving others without judgment or expectation of them, recognizing that my job isn't to change people. I spent a lot of my years trying to change people. <laughs> My job isn't to change them, but to unconditionally love them in such a way that it makes them thirsty for Jesus as they see Jesus in me. Um, for so long, I thought loving and accepting someone different from me meant that I approved of their actions or behavior. I couldn't separate the two. I thought I was compromising the truth by loving and accepting them. I was unable to encourage others different from me because I didn't understand grace. I was a slave to my own prejudices and judgments. I did not know simply how to love like Jesus. And he was an incredible lover. But at the same time, truth is important, right? Loving doesn't mean compromise or cute cliches. 
It doesn't mean that truth is up for grabs. Like a young gal that I met with this last week as we came together to, to talk and, and her kind of final statement was, well, whatever truth is to you, it's your truth and whatever truth is to me, it's my truth. That's not truth. It doesn't mean that we choose what we want our truth to be. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It also does not mean that I clutter the truth with my own add-ons and judgments that I put on others like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I must point people to Jesus. And true encouragement, then, is rooted in him in whom is forgiveness and hope and freedom and right relationship with God. Truth and grace is found in Jesus. And if we want to be true encouragers of other people, we've, we've got to be both. People that unconditionally love and show grace as we communicate to Jesus, who alone is truth. Let's pray. Father, uh, we've looked at lots of scripture, and we've talked about a lot of things. Father, help us in the midst of all of it, just through your spirit to point our eyes to Jesus, full of grace and truth. Father, just fix our eyes on him in whom is life and hope and forgiveness. Whom is everything? It's in him that we move and breathe, have our beings. And Father, looking to Jesus, help us to be people that just incredibly love others unconditionally as we point them to him. Amen.